What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Friday, May 14th at the time of recording this. And thank God it's Friday for me because it's been a really long week with a lot of ups and downs. So happy for the weekend. Yes. Oh, my cat is eating plastic. Stop it. Cut it out. You little gremlin. Cut it out. So, as always, we did an episode about Suzanne Morphew. Has there been any updates for, like, a solid Months. half a year, probably, or not anything substantial anyways? Of course, right after we came out with it, her husband was finally arrested, and he's got a couple different weird charges against him, too. So, yeah, he got arrested last week, um, on May 5th it was, on charges of first-degree homicide tampering with evidence and attempting to influence a public servant in relation to his wife's disappearance. We haven't really learned much more about what, why they've charged him now and what they've got because they've sealed the affidavit. But just yesterday, um, another charge was made public and he's been busted for voter fraud. So what he did was he submitted a mail-in ballot voting for President Trump in his wife's name five months <laughs> after she vanished. So I guess like, he, way to just scream, like, I murdered her. <laughs> I guess he was really <laughs> desperate for Trump to get back in. But um, I was just reading an article about it, and it, it says, I know she, as in Suzanne, was going to vote for Trump anyways, he told the FBI agent. Uh, I figured all these other guys are cheating, added and that he thought he would just give him another vote. And he said that he didn't know submitting a ballot on behalf of a spouse was illegal. He said, I didn't know you couldn't do that for your spouse. And then it says, it's not clear whether he filed the ballot as he wanted Trump to win or to make it appear as though Suzanne was still alive. Hmm. It's all come crashing down for Barry. He's a smug husband society. <laughs> That'd be a good shirt. Anyway, Suzanne's still missing. They still haven't found her, but he has been charged with her murder. And I know that they were also doing more searches. I think they said on Barry's nephew's land or something like that but as far as we know they haven't found anything else related to suzanne yet imagine like he really did try to do that to prove that she was still alive like she she's been missing all this time but yet she's not gonna miss voting (laughs) i know like she's yeah (laughs) he's just an idiot clearly but yeah it was interesting that it's all happened at once so you know obviously they've been following him this whole time and just waiting to kind of strike yeah Surprised, but not surprised that it took mm. so long. But hopefully, it will get probably when we put this episode out, like something big will happen. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably find her as soon as we hit publish on this episode. Yeah, literally, that's literally happened before. <laughs> oh, another thing I, that reminds me. Um, I need to look up. I want to say about Philip Adams, how they're like looking into his new religion thing. Oh, yes, yes. But it was really relevant to what we were talking about because it said that. Um, the sheriff's office is looking into whether former NFL player Philip Adams, I uh, just got a pop up. It's so annoying. Whether former NFL player Philip Adams had ties to a new religion or ideology before the shooting, which ties into what we were saying kind of at the end of the episode, how it seems like, you know, Chris Benoit started putting like Bibles next to them and he was Googling um, different Bible verses and just kind of how people who suffer from things like this sometimes they turn to religion. At the time, Philip Adams didn't really have anything related to that, but it says Philip Adams may have been following a new religion or ideology before the former NFL player shot six people and killed himself. 
During a search of Adams' bedroom where he killed himself, law enforcement officers found numerous notebooks with cryptic writing with different designs and emblems. Detectives were unclear if this was a, if this was a potential motive or if there was another motive involved. His sister Lauren said that he never mentioned anything about following a new religion or ideology. Um, she said her brother loved God and after the recent deaths of relatives expressed his faith. So not, I don't think much else has come out about that. I did see that she spoke, his sister spoke about the notebooks and said that basically it says his handwriting changed drastically. She said, I've never seen anything like it. Just makes me think more that something was going on inside his head. It was almost like another person was writing. So that's quite interesting that there was, you know, um, I would love to have a look at the books, but there's obviously some some things going on in there that didn't seem right to her as well. Yeah, but still no updates on his CTE test. It'll probably be a few months, but I thought that was interesting and related to what we're talking about. Very timely. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so annoyed that we couldn't put it in. But one more update. This one, I think enough time has passed between when we talked about it on an episode and an update, so I feel a little less bitter about it. But um, <laughs> there was a little bit of an update. Well, I guess a pretty big update with Layla Cavett. 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 Yeah, so her, the man who's in jail for her, I guess, you know, in relation to her disappearance, there was a, a like maybe a week or so ago, they we got notification that they dropped some charges, but then they also brought new charges against him. So in the last week or so, they've charged Shannon Ryan, who was already in jail, with second-degree murder and tampering with physical evidence in the presumed death of Layla. So Layla's still missing, um, but they've now charged him with murder, which is, I guess, a good um, good for her family. It's sad that they still haven't found her, but at least I guess there's progress being made in the case if they've got enough to charge him with murder, hopefully. I only saw it briefly when you and Nikki were talking about it. It said something about, like, depraved. Yeah, let me actually find it. I I never, I feel like I've never really, like, heard that charge before, but I also have a bad memory, so. They spoke about how there was no premeditation, but, which, I, that surprised me. I thought there would have, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I have no doubt that he probably planned to do whatever he did to Layla. At least to some extent, you know, I, I would not be surprised if it's if her death was related to the witchcraft that he practices and maybe things just went a little bit too far. Yeah, like maybe he didn't plan to kill her, but plan to do weird witchcraft shit. Maybe she Something even, depraved. Yeah, maybe she even went along with it. Yeah. Not obviously the murder part, I'm assuming, but, you know, maybe she was into the witchcraft as well. I, I, like, I don't know. This is all just speculation. So maybe that's why they haven't been able to kind of prove premeditation in terms of her actual death. And they still haven't found her body or anything. No, nothing. Either. We've got, um, Nikki's done a new blog for it up on truecrimesocietyblog.com. So all the court documents are up there if you want to have a look and read them all. But yeah, so he's been held without bond. They've said that basically he's a flight risk because he has no ties to Florida and, you know, he would not hesitate to take off. So he's been held without Because he's a witch. Yes. <laughs> <He's dramatic>. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were the three main updates that have happened since the last episode. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was kind of, I don't know, funny isn't the right word, but it was okay. a very poor choice of images is that it was CTV in Calgary. They had a segment, I'm guessing, on like a morning news show or something, <clears throat> and it was about five things to consider 
um, when you financially plan for parenthood. And the first one, the screenshot I've got, the first one is create a financial maternity leave plan, which is fine. But then the image they've used is the Watts family. So Chris Watts, Shanann Watts and the two little girls. And for anyone who's into true crime, you would know that Chris Watts killed his entire family, his pregnant wife and the two daughters because he was having an affair with another woman. So that got a bit of a uproar online when people, you know, started going around, people started sharing it. What a very, very poor editing choice. <laughs> if you've been following us for a bit, it's the same photo that they used on that Amazon ad of that Father's Day blanket with like a collage of photos. It was like, here, buy your dad a blanket for Father's Day. And they put the Watts family <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the blanket. I don't know where people are finding this photo and not realizing who they are. I wanted to just like prove it to myself that it, it was like on Google Photos. I searched every just like basic like family of four, happy, happy family. family, smiling family, smiling <laughs> family of four, family portrait. <laughs> Couldn't get it to come up at all. So I don't know if it's on some like stock photo website as a joke or something. Like a mean joke, but it's happened twice now. And I feel like I'm pretty confident it'll happen again. Yeah, I'm sure it will. It just seems they always pick him. Like it just seems to be that family and it's always for family related, you know, happy family related. And they also just like, it's like, it's a nice photo. Like if it wasn't a murder family photo, you'd be like, oh, wow. Like, look at this nice, happy, attractive family. (laughs) Very, I suspect someone... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I suspect somebody like lost their job or got into a lot of trouble. And they didn't even like issue an apology or anything. No, we not even a statement. A saying, you know, we apologize for this oversight. Nothing. So everyone go to their Facebook page and be like, we know what you did. <laughs> We've got the image on our Facebook page too if you want to check it out. Just True Crime Society yeah. on Facebook. So crazy. Um, but today we are going to talk about australia ever heard of it (laughs) (laughs) okay so we're going to talk about a case that happened in australia about russell hill and carol clay they are two adventurous 70 year olds who went hiking and were never seen again um there's a lot of weird kind of different parts to this story so we're gonna get into all that plus we thought it'd be interesting to do an australian crime since a lot of our listeners are from the u.s and maybe haven't heard of it Hmm. yeah i think this is one that not a lot of people outside of australia would have heard of so maybe something i had it before you brought it up different for people to kind of get into so it's no secret really that australia is a pretty crazy country geographically like there's desert there's bush there's like so bush for anyone who doesn't know I guess is the equivalent of the USA maybe woods um yeah so you know heaps thick trees you know thick brush that you can't get through yeah, so the just bush, like the woods <laughs> yeah the woods basically the deep woods <laughs> so australia is a big country it's the sixth largest in the world um and it's so it's almost three quarters the size of the usa but the population is only around 25 million people which means that there's lots of free space to get lost or murdered in so there's some fun facts about australia that i found so it's the driest inhabited continent on in the world which doesn't surprise me considering how many droughts and things like that we have Fires. Yeah, fires. The country's interior consists of arid and semi-arid areas, which are referred to as the outback. Around 70% of Australia is outback. 
while the coastal plains are more fertile and house the majority of Australia's population. So when you look at a map of Australia, people generally live on the outside of the country. There isn't a huge population kind of in the middle. Um, and that the 35% of the Australian land area is covered by desert. So I found a stat from the Australian Institute of Family Studies, and it said Australia is one of the most urbanised countries in the world, with over two-thirds, which or 69%, of the population living in major cities. It also has one of the lowest population densities outside of its major cities. So, you know, I don't, you might be wondering what all this has to do with true crime, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background into, you know, the area that we're going to be speaking about today and the case of missing campers Russell Hill and Carol Clay. And we're also going to just have a quick chat about some other kind of mysterious disappearances and things that have happened in the Australian wilderness, outback, desert, bush, whatever, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> She was a highly regarded senior member of the CWA, the Country Women's Association. He was a married family man, grandfather and amateur radio club enthusiast. No one knew that Carol Clay and Russell Hill, both in their 70s, were lovers whose affair spanned 60 years. No one, it was thought, knew about their secret camping trips to Victoria's wild and beautiful high country until they vanished. Last March, the couple's romantic campsite by a river at Wanangatta in the Alpine National Park was found abandoned and burnt out. And despite intense searching by police, Russell and Carol have not been found. These people have just vanished. Where are they? So, were they murdered? Did they get lost in the rugged and hostile bush? Or have they run away? Russell Hill was, is, was 74 years old and Carol Clay was 73. And they are essentially lovers, for lack of a you know better term. They had been together for decades, but there was just one little detail in their relationship that they often chose to overlook. Russell was married to someone else. Just a little detail. <laughs> just a little one. Russell's wife was or is still Robin Hill. Um, she's, the media has said that she was always friendly with Carol and Robin described Carol as a longtime family friend. Some articles online that I've read say that Russell and Carol were teenage sweethearts who broke up and then they married other people, but they reconnected later. I read some, um, you know, quote that said that Carol had been a friend of Russell and Robin's for over 50 years. So, you know, this goes way back for them. Yeah. When I started researching this, I believe that Carol was married too, but I can't really find any confirmation of that. I did find part of an interview with a man called Rob Ashland, and his name will pop up many times in this episode. He's one of Russell's best friends. And he said, apparently Carol's been around the scene for 20 years on and off. He said Carol lost her first husband, but married a second time before allegedly divorcing him to be with Russell, but Russell backed out at the last minute. So why does this affair and their marital status really matter? Well, in March uh, last year, 2020, Russell and Carol decided to sneak away from their families for a camping trip in the remote Victorian bushland together. Russell picked up Carol from her home in the suburb of Pakenham and they set off for their trip. Russell's wife, Robin, has said that she thought he was camping alone, which apparently he had done many times since he retired. But now that all this has come out, I actually wonder how many times he was really alone on these trips. Yeah. 
They travelled via La Cola and spent a night at Howard High Plains before heading into the Wanangatta Valley. I hope I'm saying all these right too. The very long mouth twisting words. So if I screwed any of them up, yeah, I know, a lot of letters. Um, So phone reception in the area is practically nil. It's not an area either that's very um, popular with hikers. You know, there's not a lot of road or foot traffic. Um, I'll put some photos of the area up on the blog, but basically it's just vast kind of hills, mountains, trees. There's no civilization as such, no buildings. You know, there's nothing there. It's just very, very remote. On Reddit, we'll read some comments later when we get into it, but people from the area who'd been there said that it's like the the bush there is super thick. It's really dense. It's really, really easy to get lost there, even if you're an experienced hiker, because there's just so many trees that you get disoriented easily. There was a really good um, episode of like an investigation show here that I'll try and find a copy to put on the blog too. And they actually go into a lot of detail about how remote this area was. And then it actually took them hours. They had to drive down some bush track where you can only travel, you know, 10 or 20 kilometers an hour because it's so rugged that they did that for hours to get to this spot. So they really, really, really were in the middle of nowhere. Russell told his wife that he planned to be home on March 26, while Carol had told some friends that she was going away for a few days and would be home by March 28 or 29, which is interesting to me because if they were travelling together, they would have come back together, you would have thought. But anyway, maybe it's just, you know, a bit of Chinese whispers and it's kind of gotten changed along the way. But some of Carol's family allegedly knew who she was travelling with, um, but as far as we know, Robin thought Russell was alone. The next day, so after Russell picked Carol up, next day was Friday, March 20, and Russell spoke with Rob Ashlin, who we mentioned before, via radio. They were both keen radio club members. The group is made up of other men who like camping, you know, hunting, fishing, going outdoors, and they always used the radio to communicate when there was no cell phone service. Um, If any of them were camping, they had a bit of an unwritten rule. They would check in with each other via the radio at 6 p.m. each night. Some articles I've read said that Russell said he was having radio transmission issues, but Rob Ashland said their communication that night was good and, quote, there was no indication of any problems. Rob gave Russell some directions on how to get to Dargo through Wombat Spur and Talbotville from Wanangatta. So Rob said his plan was in the next day or so to come down and camp at Upper Dargo as more or less a final night, I believe and then return home. So, you know, they were making plans. Russell had told Rob of his kind of, you know, intended travel destination. They logged off from the radio call, all seemed fine. Um, And I know in some other articles too, Rob has said that there was no indication that Carol was there. He didn't know that Carol was there until this all kind of came out. And just for the record, I don't know if we said, but if you're wondering like how these seniors got into this rugged area, I did see people saying that Russell was actually like an experienced bushman. Bushman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He was a very experienced camper, I think like we're going to their kind of setup, but yeah, he was very familiar with the area. And I think he'd actually even been to this area not long before, maybe like in a bit of a scouting trip to check it out. So yeah, he seemed like he was very prepared for the trip. Yeah. What happened, though, after he spoke to Rob on the radio is unknown still to this day. We don't actually know when what happened to them happened, but he failed to check in via radio the next night. And then by Sunday, 6 p.m., when there was still no radio contact, Rob became really concerned. He called Robin to tell her that this was out of the ordinary, and he said, I thought I'm sniffing a bad rat here. So Robin and 
I know there's so many Robs, Robin, Russell, anyone. Anyway. I feel like that always happens. To us. Oh, it's always a very similar name, so it's probably like hard to keep Chris track Benoit, of. there was three different Chris's. <laughs> but um, so Rob was familiar with the area. He called the police and he was able to kind of give them a pretty precise location about where they were likely to have been and police started to search for them. For some reason, when I kind of tried to find the timeline for this, there are some big discrepancies in articles about when their actual campsite was discovered. Some say it was March 21, so that's the day after they were kind of last heard from, but others say it was March 26th or 27th. I think that the police didn't find it until the 26th or 27th because I don't think that Rob and Robin called the police until about the 22nd or 23rd of March. I do think that someone in the area may have come across their campsite on March 21 and they took photos which are public and we'll put them on the blog, but I'm not sure if they told police, which is weird to me considering the state of the campground. But anyway, so it was found anyway, maybe up to a week after they were last heard from. Kind of crazy, but... Mm. When the police arrived there, there was a really grim, weird sight. So Russell had a locked Toyota Land Cruiser, which is... um kind of a ute and I know that was Steph and I were talking about ute is a I think it's an Australian term maybe a British term but a ute what what would you call a ute like a truck I think it's just like a a truck so it's sometimes where you have like just the like like, a little pickup truck yeah 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 pickup so it's a little bit different to that because it's got kind of a truck like a um like cabinets on the back I don't know if cabinets is probably not the right word but you know what I mean like like so you can put tools and things like that in it oh so like here it's like a truck and you put like a cap on it on yeah. the back yeah is that what you call it a cap i've never heard that i don't know i don't really know <laughs> anyway, about trucks. So if, if you hear me in this episode talk about a ute which i will a few times it means basically like a truck like a pickup truck yeah um russell's lock toyota land cruise was found alongside their camping setup but the camping setup had been burned to the ground so in the photo you can see the car there's an esky which i think you guys like call a cooler what are you is that what you call it a cooler yeah, like that you put like drinks in or yeah, yeah. stuff to keep. Yeah, just like a cooler. So here they they're called an esky. <laughs> You're all learning a lot about Australia today. <laughs> but um, I always call just a random side note, and I'm wearing this right now because we say um, Adidas, and you guys say Adidas. Adidas. Yeah. So now, now whenever I see it in the store, I'm like talking about my pants or anything, I'm just like, oh, like. Can we just go check out the Adidas? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it sounds so much cooler. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the Esky, the yellow cooler, is underneath the car. Um, that hasn't been touched by the fire. You can see the car does have some, like, soot and kind of burn marks. Yeah, but it looks, like from the smoke. Yeah, yeah, smoke, I guess, smoke damage. In front of the car, there's, I think, either a portable shower or a portable toilet. It's kind of like a little tent, so it looks like that's where you'd have a shower or use the bathroom. But to the kind of left of the car is just the remains of their campsite. So it's all burned. You can make out like some poles, but it's not discernible in terms of like the color of the tent. It's basically just a pile of rubble. It looks like someone had a, a bonfire, basically. Yeah, basically. So it looks like, you know, if they've thrown all junk in the bonfire, it's it's totally destroyed. Their actual camping setup is totally destroyed. So we spoke before about how Russell was pretty, um, you know, organized in terms of camping. They had a big tent, an outdoor shower, chairs, and a table, which all kind of were burnt. Russell's friends say he owned a $2,000 drone that he liked to use, and this has never, ever been found. 
Russell's bank cards and the couple's sleeping bags were missing. Some reports say the car keys were missing, but others that I've read say they were in the locked vehicle. So the car was locked when police got there. His best mate, Rob Ashlin, is president of the East Gippsland Amateur Radio Club, of which Russell was an enthusiastic member. Russell was, I would say, a caring sort of a fella, very careful with how he went about doing things. Yes, he had a deep understanding of the bushland that he ultimately went missing in. Oh, yes. I don't think any one of us uh, knew the, or do know the, the country and the landscape and the behavioural uh, weather patterns up there any better than uh, Russell. Interestingly, not long after the campsite was discovered, police deemed the fire as non-suspicious, which seems interesting to me. So this kind of led to lots of rumours online. Did Russell and Carol maybe run away together to start a new life and maybe stage the scene? Police said at the time that it was possibly a mobile phone charger that was the cause of the fire. So um, there was no accelerant, you know, like petrol or anything detected at the scene. So that was the possible, you know, reason for a fire that a mobile phone charger had started. And also for our American listeners, it's way easier for a fire to just happen in Australia than it is in the U.S. Like, I can't even, like, light a fire on purpose sometimes here, whereas it's super dangerous to leave, like, a fire or anything like that unattended in Australia. Yeah, and the area where they, like, there was so much bushland. So I'm actually surprised the fire didn't, well, maybe when we get into it, it's not surprising. But, you know, you would think that the fire had the possibility to kind of spread more as well, which is... Imagine this is what started the bushfires. (laughs) So police at the time were questioned about the relationship between Russell and Carol, which I I also am interested to know how they kind of figured out that Carol was there. If Rob Ashland didn't know, Robin didn't know, I'm assuming they probably just put two and two together. And maybe I'm sure some people knew of their affair. So maybe, you know, it didn't, didn't take them long anyway to determine that Carol had been there too. She must have had stuff there. Yeah. Um, the police said at the time, it is delicate and we are being very respectful of both families' wishes and concerns here. So um, police continued looking for them. There was some possible reported sightings of them from March 22, so that would be two days after they were last heard from. They also said they were trying to eliminate people and vehicles from the investigation. They said they are keen to speak to anyone who may have smelled what has been described as a burning plastic smell in the area on March 20 or 21. The four-wheel drivers, hunters, fishers, you know, trail bike riders in the area were asked to contact police even if they thought they didn't think they'd seen anything suspicious. So they basically were just trying to get an idea of who was in the area at the time and, you know, what people may have seen. It reminds me of, um, I feel like this is what they kind of did with Delphi too, of just trying to get anyone who was like on the trails that time, even if they feel like they didn't see anything, just to like kind of help make a timeline and narrow things down and like rule certain things out. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you just want to know because it's so remote, you would have no idea really who is around there. So if someone can say, well, I saw this and, you know, it just might be a a certain car that they can investigate or something like that. And if you get enough people, like I'm sure their stories have to kind of collaborate a little bit here and there. So Russell's car did have minor fire damage, but it was still drivable. So if they had run away together, you know, police could not figure out why they didn't take the car. 
And they said basically there was no reason for them to have left on foot. I don't even know where they could have gone if they, if the theory was they left on foot because it's so remote. There is no way I don't think a 73 and 74-year-old could just walk out of there. It's not like, you know, they were camped next to a main road. They were camped yeah. in the middle of the bush, only accessible by a four-wheel drive. So... Mm-hmm. Um, there's an inspector Gaffey who's worked on this case and he said at this time due to the length of time they've been missing and the weather conditions we have grave fears for their safety we know they're near water we know they had food in the car but we don't know how much they actually had with them so then police were also looking into the theory because they hadn't still haven't found the drone um, that maybe Russell crashed or lost his drone and that he and Carol went to look for it and that maybe they'd gotten lost or maybe they had an accident, you know, and something like that and then had perished while they couldn't get back to their campsite. Mm-hmm. In April 2020, so one month after they went missing, Robin, Russell's wife, spoke to the media and she said, I don't think he will still be alive. She also spoke about how she realised something was wrong. She said, he's always been on the radio. He didn't call for quite a few days. And then I started to get worried and thought, I've got to do something now. So Carol's friends also spoke to the media and they said she was a tremendous friend. She was one of those people who would cook you dinner and drop it around. Something's clearly gone awry. We don't, we, we know that something has gone awry. She was a lady. She was always dressed up, funny, pretty, still pretty in her 70s. Energetic, kind, knowledgeable. This was a long time love affair, we're told, uh, some 50, 60 years, but even though they were very discreet, Russell Hill and Carol Clay did come into contact with others when camping, including Rob Ashland. Russell uh, just um, introduced Carol as a friend, and uh, when he uh, said, uh, just as a friend, I thought to myself, oh yeah. Uh, I've been around for more than five minutes. Uh, looks more than a friend to me. What made you think that? You could see the, the closeness between the two of them. So what was your impression of Carol? A very uh, dressed up sort of a lady for in the bush. Did she have a lipstick on? Oh, yeah, most definitely. This was a woman that you felt slightly out of place for the bush. I must say I'd have to agree with that. So Carol was really into the CWA. I don't know if you guys have an equivalent type thing there, but the CWA stands for the Country Women's Association. So basically it's like a group. Um, I found a website that talks about what they do. So they provide, like they do a lot of fundraisers. So they provide services such as infant health centres and the home help scheme. They um, provide playground equipment, park seating and tree planting, support for drought-affected towns, clothes and toys for hospitals, the advocates for women, and they try and help people who are socially isolated. So Carol was very um, active in the CWA, and at one time she was actually the state president of, so I'm assuming the Victorian state president. So she was very well known in the community, very well thought of. And one thing that is interesting is that since all this has happened, the CWA have actually removed Carol from all their websites. I guess, you know, her affair maybe brought them into... Scandal. Yeah, scandalous. So they've removed her, her photo, everything from the website, which is, you know... Sad, I guess, for her, but an interesting yeah, point. Sad anyway. that that's what it, it takes to just wipe out all the yeah. charity work you've ever done. All the years of work that she put in, and then they, you know, obviously didn't weren't happy about the affair. So, yes. eighteen days after they disappeared, the official search for them was called off. Police called off the search after receiving expert advice from an independent doctor that specialises in the field. They said there are a number of reasons we've called off the search, including the time frame the people have been missing and access to the search area being impacted by the weather. 
So this was in March, but they still had light snow, um, which so March here is still generally pretty hot because we, you know, summer for us ends in February, I think. So it's just the end of summer, but they did have some light snow that accessed, uh, impacted the access tracks and also meant that basically Russell and Carol would not have been able to survive if they were out there. Uh, the police said they'd been keeping in touch with both the families during the search and they'd notified them that they'd called it off. I feel for the family. It's an incredibly distressful and sad time for them. This is Inspector Gaffey speaking again. And he said, I'm really surprised we haven't found them. Throughout the search, we were confident we would locate them in the Wanangatta Valley, as all the evidence we have points to them being there. Um, but they said even though they're stopping the search, they're not going to stop investigating the case. They said it's still an active missing persons case. So May 2020, two months after they went missing, police suddenly changed their theory about what happened to them and they began investigating this case as a murder. Detective Inspector Andrew Stamper told the media, my belief is there's been a third party involved. If Russell and Carol were there, the officers would have found them or they would have found some trace of them. We found no trace whatsoever. So he also spoke to the media that time and wrote off the theory that, the, that they'd left together to kind of start a new life together. <clears throat> He said, the strongest theory is that it would be something has happened to them in the valley that has maybe escalated and resulted in something bad happening to them. They've disappeared to nowhere. They've either been removed from the valley or concealed somewhere in the valley. The police also said that arson chemists could not completely determine the cause of the fire. So even though they originally said it was a mobile phone charger, they kind of moved away from that now they're like maybe maybe something else (laughs) happened um rob ashland who's russell's friend who we spoke about he also spoke to the media again and he said russell would never leave his equipment ever i believe he's been jumped and i reckon he's been forced into a vehicle and carted out of there the police have really looked into everything they've had forensics they've had dogs they've had helicopters they've had horses and it's as clean as a whistle they can't find anything He said, I think they've been murdered. I really think they've been taken from the scene. There's been no diggings found. And if there was anything around there, if no one would have found them, the wallopers, which apparently is Aussie slang for the police, which I didn't know, but (laughs) the wallopers would have found them. And you call yourself an Australian? (laughs) Clearly not a true Australian. (laughs) You you can't pronounce the weird names. Like, you don't know the slang. (laughs) Maybe this is... Because I'm in a different state. Maybe it's state-based slang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So police kind of made information about the search available pretty sporadically over the rest of 20 and 2020 and early 2021. They kept undertaking random searches time to time by police, air surveillance, the dog squad, and members of the state emergency service. They also got the help of the Mountain Cattlemen's Association of Victoria. So I guess these people are out there, you know, with their cattle and their horses and they always are keeping an eye out for them but nothing was found in march 2021 so one year after they went missing the the case started to heat up again the victoria police's missing person squad made an appeal for information about a white dual cab ute that was seen in the area at the time so i'm assuming dual cab is the same there which means basically it's got the two seats in the front and then it's also got a row of seats in the back yeah so you can fit five people in it or however many people yeah, it's four got or five. a back seat yeah it's been close to a year since russell hill and carol clay vanished and now a mystery ute could be the key to solving the case any little piece of this uh of this you know very complicated jigsaw is is significant to us the family are really struggling 
Detectives have spent the last 12 months checking and identifying every car seen near their campsite except for one. A white dual cab ute similar to this one. The exact make and model is unknown. I uh, accept is not a is not an uncommon vehicle in that uh, in that location. It was parked within uh, fairly close proximity of the uh, of the long drop uh, public toilet. Detective Inspector Andrew Stamper said police had been able to identify all vehicles except for this white ute. It might seem like only a very small possibility that those in the white ute will have information about the disappearance, but we can't afford to leave any stone unturned. We cannot leave any what-ifs when it comes to an investigation like this. We've had people from other states come forward to provide their details and tell us they were in the area at that time which is greatly appreciated and incredibly helpful. He said, I've been clear the whole time that it's not about catching out people who shouldn't have been there for any reason. We just need to account for you. And he said that, you know, there's nothing linking this vehicle to the pair's disappearance, but they just haven't been able to locate the vehicle and the driver. So they started, police started releasing more and more information about this case, which leads me to kind of think they have a game plan. I, I think they know more about what happened to them than what they're releasing and what they have released recently seems to be quite tactical. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, they announced in early March that a drone had been found in the area and that had been handed in. They didn't say straight away, though, if the drone was Russell's, but about a week later on March 9, they said it wasn't Russell's. It wasn't the same model. My birthday. (laughs) (laughs) But they did say they were trying to find out more about who owned the drone and, you know, where it had come from. On March 13, police spoke to the media again about advancements that they'd made in the investigation. So again, it was Detective Inspector Stamper, and he said, we're pretty confident that we've got a good picture of people's movements in the valley and around the campsite that day, which is good considering we started with not much. A little win could be just eliminating someone. 12 months down the track, we're more focused than ever. And he also spoke to Seven News, um, you know, in March this year, and he said, my honest but sad belief is that, unfortunately, they are deceased. We also learned, which I thought was quite interesting, a little bit more about the timeline of their disappearances. Police forensically tested the camp toilet that they had set up and discovered that it had never been used. So this kind of leads to speculation that whatever happened to them probably happened very soon after Russell made the radio call to Rob Ashland, because otherwise they would have had to use the toilet, you would think. So it seems like they didn't have a chance to use the toilet because whatever happened to them probably happened pretty quickly. I always think it's so cool when, like, they do some, like, cool forensic stuff like that, like something you wouldn't normally think of or just, like... Yeah, because I would never even... The one thing I always wonder about that, though, is that... Because that this was their second night camping, so I think they left the day before. So maybe they just didn't set up the toilet that night, or maybe they went to stop somewhere that had toilet facilities. But it's interesting that they've said it was never used. I wonder if it's like something that they would have to like empty. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. You know, I don't know. I'm not into camping, but I'm assuming there would be some something you'd have to do to it to keep it. Usable. We said this last time we talked about hiking with mostly harmless. We're we're not hikers. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not a camper either. <laughs> I'm a hotel person. No. <laughs> um, Hell no. Rob Ashlan again spoke to the media in March and he said, some boys are thinking about doing a trip up there, but I don't know if it's the right thing to do. We're waiting for people to drop their guard and open their mouths. Police have got to keep going. They can't leave a stone unturned. We want answers and that area of the bush is certainly not safe to go at the moment, which is interesting. Um, again, in that documentary, I was, or, you know, the episode about this case, they talk about, you know, that possibly people have drug crops in the area because it's so remote they can grow stuff there and no one would know. 
um, and that there's illegal hunting and poaching and things like that going on as well. So I think that's kind of what he means in that it's not safe, is that there's people up there who aren't doing the right thing and that you mm-hmm. might kind of come across them. In early April, cadaver dogs, which specialise in locating human remains, were sent to the region again, but they didn't find anything. This was the second time that police had used the dogs, but again, nothing was found. On April 14 this year, police focused their search on the Mount Hotham area. I don't know why they moved to this area. I looked up on Google Maps, and it's around a two-hour drive in the bush from where Russell and Carol were last seen. So it's interesting that they've all of a sudden changed their kind of search area. Yeah, I really want to know like what information they have and like what evidence they have that made them change their mind from it being like maybe they ran off to like thinking another person's involved and now they're at this place like two hours away. Mm. Like, What do they know or what did they find? The police detective acting inspector Combridge said it wasn't one piece of information but multiple sources that had led them to the new search zone, which is interesting. So it sounds like they had a lot of reason to kind of search this new place. Mm. During the search, there's a clip which I'll put on the blog and some photos as well, but the police found two big shovels. They're pretty big, like, you know, they're not little tiny ones that you'd use to dig a pot plant or something, but they're big shovels that were found and they were taken for forensic testing by police and they police searched that day on a patch of bushland adjacent to the Great Alpine Road. Emerging from the rugged terrain, detectives uncover two shovels in the dense bushland below. Each bagged as evidence they'll now be forensically examined. As to the the relevance to the investigation or its importance to the investigation, that, that's still being that's still being assessed at this time. Search and rescue officers rappelled down the steep descent, scouring the countryside along the Great Alpine Road as part of their year-long search. They believe items of interest could have been thrown from a passing car. The detective acting inspector spoke about the remoteness of the area and he said that there's bushland here that has probably never been walked on by humans. He said it is that remote. I know. It always blows my mind. Like when I drive past the bush here, I always think, God, imagine what's in there that you have no idea about or, you know, that it's just so untouched. Yeah. I know we said it's like the woods here, but like the bush seems like a way scarier version of our woods. He said, it's that remote. I think it's really important to bear in mind. To be honest, we don't know exactly what we're going to find until we've searched it, and that's why we're here. The area itself is of interest to us because of the information we've uncovered. As for what we expect to find there, we want to find answers. So he said that they had also received so many calls in response for their appeal for information about the ute that they they had expanded the size of the investigation team and they'd also added arson specialists. As far as I know, I just looked today too to make sure there was no other updates. They've never, ever identified that ute or who the driver was, which is interesting. Yeah. On April 26, police returned to the Wanangatta area where they disappeared from to search again. So they searched remote tracks, rivers and cliffs in the area and they told the media they were focusing on the area around the Dargo High Plains Road, Cynthia Range Track, Hearns Spur Track and the Wanangatta Track. Russell's wife, Robin, spoke to the media again this month in May 2021. She said, I can't see how they will come home. He hasn't spent any money. He hasn't done anything. I just want them found one way or the other, and then he can face the music if he's still alive. See, I'm a bit of a sadist. You've got to be. Otherwise, you'd be in a heap. And then that's when she also confirmed that her and Russell had known Carol for more than 50 years. Mm. 
Um, so the most recent updates in this case, they are still missing. There's, you know, we haven't heard anything else about what was found on the shovels, if they were related to the case. Police said on May 5 that there are no current searches underway. Um, they've also said, you know, that the shovels are off being forensically examined and that there are no, you know, nothing else they can update the public on on that. So it's a strange case just um, – and I guess because it's so remote, there's just nothing, you know, most things at least you could piece some CCTV together, kind of have a bit of an idea about what happened. But there's just so many different theories about what possibly happened to them. And I've put them together just to have a quick chat about. So one theory is that there's a mysterious person in this wilderness bush area known as the Buttons or the Button Man. And some people think that he may be involved I got this info from an article on strangeoutdoors.com, which is a really, really good website where they detail, you know, disappearances and strange things that have happened all over the world in basically any outdoor setting. So according to them, Buttons is a hard expert bushman who earned his nickname from his habit of using deer antlers to make button and cre- buttons and create large plugs for his ear piercings. He apparently camps on the side of a mountain so he can see anyone who approaches. He catches deer and hunts with expertly crafted Indigenous-style spears. Many campers and hunters have stories about the button man, this is so creepy, approaching them at their campsite once it gets dark, creeping up on them like a ghost. They say he's around 70 with short grey hair and he wears dark jackets. And those that encounter him call him bloody scary. Others say he's spooky. There's no, um, there's only a few reports of him actually being threatening or you know violent i can't really find any confirmed violence by the button man i think more than anything he's just a bit creepy he sometimes yeah, questions it seems like it's been um it seems like it's been urban yeah. legendized almost yeah. in a way <laughs> it's probably just some guy who lives out there and you know he's probably harmless but people kind have of a built weird guy yeah like a myth now he often asks people why they're there but he doesn't answer questions about himself um and it says, it says at least eight experienced Bushmen have had encounters. And one of them said he has a thousand meter stare that made the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. They don't actually know he's there. Like, you know, there's no, he's not noisy. He just moves very, very quietly. And they don't know he's there until he decides to make himself known. This, I think, is so creepy. A wildlife photographer was in the area once taking shots in the area near Button Man's camp. He returned home um, and he downloaded his photos to the computer and there was one unexplained shot of the photographer asleep in his tent so you know probably button man has gotten the camera and taken a photo of this guy without him knowing while he's asleep which is so creepy maybe i'm just a really light sleeper but if someone was like like i know he's supposed to be stealthy but like got out my camera like a photography probably dslr camera and like took a picture of me in the dark where it's like i feel like i would wake up like i feel like i would hear it i don't know um, Buttman also likes to build rock pyramids in random spot and places piles of pebbles on the road to know if a car has passed. So some people have um, put, you know, people who are in the bush a lot, they're called bushies, have hidden firewood supplies and when they returned later on they found their stash was gone. They say someone must have been watching them to know the location. An experienced hunter woke up around 11pm for a night hunt to see Buttman camp next to him. Some thinks he sees it as a harmless sport to hunt the hunters and prove that he can approach them without them knowing. So some people think that maybe Russell and Carol encountered Buttons um, or even if they didn't encounter him, that maybe he knows more about what actually happened to them. I don't think he probably had anything to do with their disappearance if he's, you know, 
what what would the benefit be um but he could very well he could very well know more i guess about what happened to them yeah very creepy um there's also been some disappearances of other missing hikers in the area which i know these two weren't essentially a hiker but they were camping in the area so warren mayer vanished without a trace after telling his uh, family that he was going on a bushwalk in the Dom Dom Saddle Park in Fernshaw in Victoria on Easter Sunday 2008. The 57-year-old left for a 10-kilometre bushwalk and he was pretty well prepared. Like 10 kilometres isn't much. That would be just like a day thing. He packed a whistle, matches, paper, maps, a mobile phone and food and water. Detective Val Smith found a gun at the site where Mr. Mayer went missing. She said, I'm assuming Val is a female, but she said, so we know that there was a number of risks in the bush at that time from human intervention. And she also thinks that he was killed. There was, at the time, there was an escaped psychiatric patient called Anthony Stewart Williams in the, who was in the bush nearby. And there may have been a two-hour window where their paths had crossed. Anthony Williams killed himself a year later. Um, so it's never been confirmed that he had anything to do with the disappearance, but it's possible. And that other theories in relation to this one is that there was a marijuana plantation in the bush and that maybe Warren Mayer had kind of come across it and that he was killed because I guess he knew too much. In December 2017, um, Coroner John Olley concluded that Warren had died of unknown causes and that no further investigation was required. So here they can um, do a, a coronial inquest for missing people to determine if they are likely dead or alive and they look into, you know, if they've used their bank records and whatever else. So I guess there's no proof of life for him. So they've determined that he's likely dead. I feel like there's nothing more like disappointing than when an autopsy comes back as unknown causes or whatever. Yeah. How can it be unknown? I, it always blows my mind that someone can die. Like, how do you say can actually unknown figure it out? and then no further investigation is required? I always wonder, and in so many of the missing person inquests that I've read, the coronial inquest, it's like, yes, this person is likely dead, but we have no further information. I'm like, what is the point of this? Yeah. You could just like, know that anyway. Like, it just seems like a lot of work for no outcome. Yeah, it's a big letdown. Yeah. So obviously, it's probably unlikely that you know, if if Warren Mayer was killed, it's unlikely probably that it's you know the same people did something to Russell and Carol, but maybe they kind of disappeared under the same premise of coming across something that they didn't that they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. There's a high country musterer who called Lachlan Cullican who helped police during the search, and he believes that Russell and Carol may have captured footage of illegal hunters on Russell's drone. He said he was shocked by the sheer quantity of dead deer in the area where their scorched campsite was found, and he said that he saw a dead deer every 200 or 300 metres, um, which is interesting. So maybe they had the drone up and they came across someone. I saw people on Reddit talking about that, and they said there were actually also a lot of like baby deers too, which I thought was weird. I don't know if that's true, but... That's it's what people weird. were saying. Yeah, that they hunt and then just leave them dead. I guess it's just the actual hunting is the sport. Yeah. Rob Russell's friend Rob Ashland also thinks that the couple came across someone sinister in the bush. He said he had a friend who was hunting deer in the region and he sent up his camp for the night with someone else. As they sat around the fire, they saw a person standing at the edge of the light staring at them. One of them shot over to his vehicle and this person who was sitting there just wandered behind the shadow of a tree and then was gone. They were being stalked without knowing about it for some time, which is ugh, yuck again. So with that and then like the bush, the guy, buttons, buttons. just the thought of having someone just like staring at you like mm. in the shadows is so fucking creepy to me. I know. Ugh. 
and like you just like look up and they're there and you're like how long were they there like i can't even imagine how dark like you know there's no civilization around so literally there would be no light so it would just be the moonlight and you know just imagine how dark and oh it doesn't you just see a person oh it's the stuff of nightmares (laughs) it's terrible um so another person who went missing on this one was a bit more recent was October 24, 2019. There was an experienced bushwalker called Niels Becker. He's 39. He left for a solo five-day hike in Victoria's Alpine National Park, and he'd prepared for this for months. He was well-prepared, and he had lots of supplies. He left the upper Jamison hut on October 24, and two days later sent a message to his family saying that he was heading to his car at Mount Stirling, which was six or seven hours walk away, depending on the route that he took. The last confirmed sighting of him, though, was by the button man who told police he saw him in the area as the track he was taking took him past button man's camp. As of May 2021, Niels is still missing. So that's, you know, he was on the down, you know, the end of his hike, his five-day thing, and he never made it back to his car. Seems like a lot of experienced bushwalkers have gone missing. So I'm wondering how experienced are they? And all, like, you know, I know accidents happen. If someone just fell, for example, and, you know, slid down, a, you know, whatever, and couldn't get up if they broke their ankle or whatever, like, think I, that's what I always think. They're, most of these are probably accidents, probably. But yeah, I guess. it just goes to show maybe, like, how rough the area is. Yeah. Um, there's another missing person who went missing from the high country in July 2019. His name was Conrad Whitlock. He was a 72-year-old man. For some reason, he um, left his bed. His wife saw him in bed at 11.30, and when she woke up at 5.30 a.m. the next day, he was gone. They found his white BMW in the darkness on the side of Mount Buller Road, and in the car were his jacket, mobile phone, and his keys. Victoria Police Inspector David Brown said officers found the car in working condition and that all his you know, personal stuff was inside. At the moment, there is nothing to indicate a reason for the vehicle to have stopped. The vehicle had the keys in it. It started. It had fuel. So we don't know why he's gone away from the vehicle. That sounds to me probably more maybe like a suicide to get up and leave home, you know. I wonder if he had um, like any type of dementia or Alzheimer's because he was older. And Mm. it just reminded me of a story once with um, it's actually happened to my, my friend who just passed away when she was in college. She lives in a place where like a lot of the houses were close together. One of their neighbors, like grandfathers, he had dementia or like Alzheimer's or something. And he, in the middle of the night, got out of the house and was like lost and started wandering around because, you know, they get confused and disoriented. And he went into my friend's house because they left one of the doors open by accident. So when her dad went downstairs, he just found this, like, random old guy, like, just laying there with his eyes, like, wide open on the couch. And turns out he was just, like, a lost old guy with dementia. But Mm. that would be so creepy. Just imagine finding some random disoriented person in your house. That's crazy. Um, When I was trying to find a bit more information about this Conrad Whitlock, there was some sightings of him wandering some distance from his abandoned car. But they still don't actually know, you know, he's never been found. So it'd be interesting to see if anything comes of that one. Yeah. Um, the last kind of case that may be related or may be similar, there was a man called David Prideau who was 50. He was a Barwon prison governor and he was a passionate bush hunter. On June 5, 2011, he went deer hunting with his brother-in-law in Victoria's Alpine National Park and he hasn't been seen since. 
So they did lots of searches. There was no trace of him found. And um, one of the theories was that he had been killed over the murder of drug dealer Carl Williams, who'd been ambushed and murdered inside the prison where David worked um, a year before. Um, it's also the one kind of issue with that is that it's unlikely that a hitman could creep up on an experienced hunter. That was a theory I read, but I don't think that's necessarily true. But if, if these experienced hunters are all talking about the button man sneaking up on them, what's to say, you know, I don't, I don't think it would be that hard. Yeah. Media reports also said that maybe uh, David Prudeau had been in possession of sensitive police files, including allegations of police corruption when he went missing. They did a coronial inquest for him as well, and they ruled out that he'd faked his own deaths because there'd been a number of reported sightings. They went over his bank account records and they had not been touched since he vanished. They also looked into things like his Medicare, his, you know, all basically all his accounts and that there was no link or no trace that he was alive. The coroner found that he likely died from a serious accident in the National Park or from a medical cause and that there was nothing to suggest he met with foul play. The coroner is satisfied he's dead, but again, the cause is unknown. So maybe, you know, along those lines, Russell and Carol did stumble across the deer hunting or a drug crop or, you know, something along those lines and were murdered. Um, I do think that whatever happened to them, they were probably put in their sleeping bags to be taken away because that's that's why they haven't found the sleeping bags. So, you know, it's probably easier to zip them up and get rid of them that way than trying to actually lug a body around. Yeah. Um, the Detective Inspector Stamper did speak about the drug theory, though, and he said, we're pretty certain there's no drug crop activity involved in this investigation. I feel like if there was, like, some big drug operation, they, the police would have also come across it at this point. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, you know, one of those things where they maybe turn a bit of a blind eye if, you know, if it's just just marijuana, for example, or whatever, I don't know. Like, I'm sure that they, I don't know, I guess it would depend on the size of the crop and whatever else. Yeah. I feel like if I was saying that was worth murdering two people over, that the police would have found it by now. Yeah, I don't know. It's so crazy that there couldn't be no trace of what happened to them. Or, or maybe there is and they just haven't yeah. made it public. Yeah, I feel like they must know something to have changed their mind to say that, like, a third party is probably involved. Yeah. But it's just one, weird. One other thing I think that I read about the sleeping bags, too, is that maybe they kind of use them, like, as a shawl or, like, a blanket. Yeah. Them warm if they went for a walk and maybe that's, you know, maybe it was an accident, but that could explain why they found. But I don't think I really think that. I suspect to me the most logical thing is that they use the sleeping bags as a way to dispose of the bodies. Yeah. So, you know, so there's the theories that they either came across Button Man, a crime. The other theories that, which I think we can kind of discount now, is that they ran away to start a new life. Was it maybe a murder-suicide by one of them? Um, I don't think so. I could, I think it could be an accident. I Like, I know that they've said it is a murder, and I do suspect that's probably what it is. But, it, you know, it could it could have been an accident, but it doesn't explain all the weird stuff like the burnt campsite. The locked, you know, locked car with the keys inside. It just, there's all different things that make me think that it was kind of more of a set up site by someone to destroy as much of the evidence as they could. Yeah. I feel like maybe the one that seems the most reasonable theory is if people do hunt in that area, maybe accidentally shot and killed one of them and yeah. panicked and killed the other one and burned the evidence. I feel like the Especially drone, like illegal. that because the drone is missing, I feel like that must play a fair part in this story. Um, do they know that he had the drone? Like, I, 
I've seen people saying that, but do they know that for sure that he had it? Let's have a look. I'm pretty sure they um do not. Well, I guess, you know, they haven't I found it at I... his house. Yeah, I guess so. I saw people saying that, I don't know if this was just like speculating, but they made it seem like that police thought that he was like flying the drone around at some point for some reason. But I was like, if they don't have it, how would they know that? Maybe um, Robert might have told the police because I found an article in The Australian and it says investigators were told Mr. Hill took his DJI Mavic DJI Mavic drone before going camping. So maybe mm-hmm. she saw him pack it or, you know. Or maybe just normally took it. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. Like, you know, and I know drones in that area especially could get lost very easily, but it just seems like it's very convenient that the drone hasn't been found and neither have them. So um, I do think probably the drone may be a very important part of what happened to them. Yeah. And did they have cell phones? I don't remember. Um, they did. Yeah, they did have they cell phones. They didn't have service. Yeah, no service. And I don't actually know, like in this um, documentary, that I, the episode that I keep talking about, there was some photos of things that were found in the car. I'll have to just go and double check if their phones were found in the car. But they've never, ever said that um, they could get anything from the cell phones or from the cell phone data anyway. Yeah. So that leads me to think that it, um, they couldn't get anything from the cell phones. Yeah. Want me to read these comments? Yep. Okay, so as usual, I'm scrolling Reddit and I like to look at the comments because sometimes you get people from the area talking about it. So these are some comments that I saved that I thought brought up some good points. Um, so on the thread, they're all just talking about like different theories and whether they agreed with the theories or didn't. So this person said, think about it. How would a rogue hunter get rid of two bodies? There was no evidence of cremated human remains and the nearby area was searched extensively. I've hunted deer in that area. And let me tell you, dragging a dead deer out of any bushland is a nightmare. That's why it's improbable that a single individual was responsible. Even the cavemen that hunted and lived off the land, Mr. Buttons, was cleared. People were saying that police talked to him, but I don't know if that's confirmed or just gossip. Feel like um they always talk about as in like I think the police are in contact with him. How I don't know how could they have cleared him? I don't know. He's like just bush. What what would clear him if that makes sense? He's actually just like a snitch. (laughs) Works for the police. Mm -hmm. Um, the person also said I think the murders are related to his drone flight, which probably got the bush druggies worried. He probably (laughs) flew his drone over a remote crop and was detective, these types of people would have no hesitation killing their own parents for 10 cents. Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, if you think about it, if he was flying the drone, I wonder how they knew maybe they followed the drone back to his campsite. Like, I'm just wondering how they actually found him via, if it was drone-related. Does that make sense? So he's flying the drone over the crop, for example. They would have had to follow the drone back or... Um, and especially yeah. if it's like so rugged and difficult. Yeah, exactly. Like it's really... not like you can just drive down the road and find them. Like I, did, I found a video online that shows you just how crazy this road is to get down. It was like fallen trees. It's not just a Sunday drive. It's a big mission to get there. So it's um, interesting that if, if it was drone related that they could track down Russell and Carol to get them. Maybe it's like meth because doesn't meth make you like superhuman or something (laughs) running through the bush superhuman just climbing the mountain (laughs) um another comment from someone said i almost ended up in the same situation a few weeks ago in that area had a day off of work decided to go for a walk to a hill in the distance simple enough once i got there i turned around to head back i pretty quickly ended up a bit disoriented and crossed over my old tracks instead of following them 
Once I realized I was somewhat lost and not sure where I was going, the panic to run set in. It's fucking weird. Just get overwhelmed with an urge to run and it makes no sense at all. And you know it too. Ended up calming myself down and using the wind direction to get me back. Didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but after reading that, I can see how easily it could happen and how fucked I could have been. And that person's name is Wee Fartman. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone replied and said, that is a very real phenomena that happens to many hikers and individuals who get lost. I feel the urge to run comes from not only the adrenaline surge, but the evolutionary perspective that being separated from others signals threat to life. The concern of being lost points to fear of being unable to get yourself back to civilization. I don't feel this couple got lost. Their missing sleeping bags is a very big issue as they can't walk with them on. And even if they wore them for a walk to keep warm, it doesn't explain why the tent and their belongings burnt down. One doesn't go for a walk in the Australia bush if you have anything fire unattended due to serious cultural bushfire anxiety. And I also think that they wouldn't have gone, like if he was on, if, if whatever happened to them happened after the radio call. So let's just say he was on the radio for an hour, seven o'clock, it would have been pretty dark. Like, I don't think they're just going to go for a wander around the bush at night to, you know, also, like elderly people. Yeah. I was going to say they're fucking 70. Like, <laughs> sure, maybe they're fit, but like they're fucking 70. Like, you know, fair enough if they thought they weren't missing in the day, you might, but then they, you wouldn't probably need your sleeping bag. You wouldn't take, you just wear a jumper or a sweater or something. So. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I like, feel like them if I was going, going for a walk. to walk in some like rugged terrain, and even if it was like a little chilly, but let me bring my bulky ass sleeping bag, like, <laughs> a sweatshirt. Another comment was from someone who lives around there. They said, "I live in the rough area. This happened can provide some local knowledge." Firstly, I've never been to the area. However, my father is an ex-police officer. He used to go into the area looking for lost campers and hikers in the 1980s and 90s regularly. He describes it as a great place to get lost. It is rugged and inhospitable. Even experienced people have issues here. By all accounts, the two, or at least Russell, was experienced. He had also been in the area only a week or so before, so he was at least somewhat familiar with the place. So what happened? If it was a crime of passion, someone went to a lot of trouble to follow them to that area. If you don't know what you're doing up there, you'll find yourself in trouble. While this doesn't rule out this theory, it makes it unlikely. Hunters, it's a relatively popular hunting and fishing area, so a mistake could have been made and one or both of them could have been accidentally shot. This doesn't explain why only half the camp was torched, though. Did they get lost? This is probably one of the simplest theories and also possibly the correct one. As my father explains, it's very easy to get lost. His theory is as follows. Russell's using his drone. When he loses it, Russell goes off to find it while Carol remains at the campsite cooking food. Russell gets lost, has an accident. When he hasn't returned, Carol's in a panic and goes looking for him as well, leaving the fire at the campsite unattended. She then also gets lost, failing light nighttime, or meets with an accident. So I think those are all, all those theories sound good to me. <laughs> I just, it's just, you know, one of those things. I, I, I feel like it was foul play. And I also read another article yeah. too about um, how they tried to kind of recreate the fire. Like they tried to, to figure out, I guess, how the fire happened. And they said that most of their camping stuff just wouldn't burn. It was obviously made to be fire repellent. So right. it was um, interesting that. It burnt down that much, but they're still not entirely sure why or how. I don't know anything about fires, but it looks like it gave off like a lot, like heavy black smoke that was yeah. like all over the car. It's just crazy to me that it didn't spread because, like, if you look at the photos, it was right on the bush. Like, there's trees around. It's not like they just, you know, 
camped in a clearing with nothing, the like outdoor toilet or shower or whatever it is, is basically up against the bush. So it's crazy that it didn't spread more, which maybe maybe someone put it out to not kind of like they burnt what they needed to burn and then maybe yeah. put it out so that it wouldn't draw attention. Yeah. I think what that one guy, like the friend said early on, like that they could have been forced into a car would be interesting just because they had cadaver dogs out there too and they didn't find anything. Yeah, that's true. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. My other thought, we can speculate as much as we want because we really have no idea, but that would be, that would make sense. Yeah. And then I feel like early on in the story, like before you really know all the information, you're like, oh, they're having an affair. Obviously, you know, it's always the husband or wife or whatever, but it seems like they, they aren't really of interest at all unless it's kind of like the Lori Shaver thing where they're just going to follow them, his wife around for a while and see if she kind of gives off any red flags. But I also saw people saying that she apparently might have known about the affair, but I don't know if that's confirmed. After, you know, even just say they were even together for 20 years. Like people are like, I I think it was in our, on our site. They were like, everyone needs to leave this lady alone. Like, you know, I'm like, well, what if she knew? Maybe they had some arrangement where, you know, I would find I would find it hard to believe that she had no idea after all this time. And I feel like I keep on being like, they're 70, but like, you're that old at that point. You're just like, fucking whatever. Do you know what? I just can't believe, like, I know, I don't, I obviously don't know these people, but Carol was like this, you know, when you look at photos of her, she's um, very elegant. Like, she's got gray hair, but she's always got makeup on and, you know, nice clothing. Like, she doesn't look like the type who Out wants to go bush. camping in a remote four hour drive away in the middle of the bush. It's just interesting to me that, you know, that's what they, but they seem to enjoy that because they that's- seem to have done it a lot. Us girls do anything to impress a guy. <laughs> it's funny, like when I, I'm on Google Images now, just looking at images of her, and I've put in Carol Clay. And like when you scroll down, one of the images is a cake. Like, so, you know, she was like an old, well, I shouldn't say old, but like a grandma. You know, she looks like a sweet granny who would make you a cake. Yeah. And, you know, she looks like she would have a cooking channel show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She'd be like, yeah. So I guess that's it for this one. There's no trace of them. They haven't been found. We are coming up well, a, year, a year and two months now since they went missing. Still, we don't really know any more than what we did after they found the burned out campsite. We just know that things are happening. happening maybe. <laughs> and even I think it was Kelly Jane and she was like, I just can't believe every day there's a new article about this. Or there was for a period of time anyway. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was just every day there was a new new search, like the shovels, you know, all those type of things. And when I looked today to see if there was an update, there hasn't been anything for two weeks, which is kind of the <clears throat> longest period of time in a while where there's been radio silence. So maybe things are happening in the background. Like obviously it's either a good thing or a bad thing, but I feel like when there's like that silence, sometimes that means like we're going to get something soon or it just means there's literally nothing happening. I think it's funny how his wife, like the last thing his wife said was he needs to come and face the music. <laughs> it's, you know, I know. And then she was basically like, well, he's probably dead. <laughs> it must be hard for them. Like I wonder if, they, I'm assuming they both had kids. Like I wonder if his kids knew of the affair and like it would be a lot for them to deal with plus just the normal disappearance. Like that would be hard enough, but then to deal with all this other affair stuff on top of it would be hard for them. Right. Imagine like not knowing all that and then your dad or husband's missing and you find out he was missing because he was out having a fucking affair. It's like (laughs) double whammy. 
Mm. Fucking crazy. An interesting case. Like it's very different, you know, you don't often get 75-year-olds having an affair while they're out camping and going missing. Like it's not your standard missing camper case. (laughs) Standard missing (laughs) camper case. (laughs) It reminds me, like while we're going through it and reading it, it keeps reminding me of another case, but I can't think of what it is. It just gives me the same vibe where you don't know anything. Yeah. I don't know what one it is, though. It's annoying me. Mm-hmm. I maybe like I don't know if it's just because again I'm saying it that they're older and it reminds me of um the two oh my god why do I have the worst memory the two <laughs> older people the rich older people that were killed that oh, he had the, honey and Barry from, Sherman yeah because it was like there's so much information but like none at the same time yeah just like who would do this to them there's um a photo also that i'll put on the blog and it's of russell actually holding the drone i don't think it was on this trip or whatever but you know so they they know the exact drone that he did have at one point and i guess that's why they maybe put two and two together and can't find it yeah what do you think happened what's your top theory if you had to pick um, one um i i think they were murdered for some reason either came, i i think it's probably likely they came across either an illegal hunter or something they shouldn't have I don't think think, necessarily there's a serial killer going around killing all these people. I think that they just were unlucky and somehow came across probably through the drone or whatever, something they shouldn't have and were killed because of that. That's what I think too. Imagine like a Bush serial killer. I feel like if I was a serial killer, that'd be not the way I'd want to (laughs) go. It'd be a good spot because, you know, there's no phone service. No one can get away from you. It's It's true, but, like, you'd have to climb mountains and trees and stuff, apparently. (laughs) Pros and cons. I wonder if there there must be a lot of people, when I say a lot, you know, people living out in the bush, like, really, really living off the grid. Well, so they were saying on Reddit, they were like, oh, the bush druggies and, like, the bush Mm. zombies. And I'm like, who's living out there? (laughs) The bush zombies. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's some photos. I'll put the photos up on the blog, too, of just the area. And, like, you know, there are some clearings, but otherwise it's just hills and mountains and trees and... You know, anyone could be hiding out in there. It's crazy. Yeah, Australia's wild. Mm. Yes, <laughs> very wild. Literally, literally wild. So I think that's it for Russell and Carol this week. Hopefully there will be something soon about them, but it's pretty quiet at the moment. I'll update the blog with anything that happens, and if there are any big updates, we can give a little bit of a, you know, update episode maybe. When that episode comes out, I want to make... And if I don't do it, someone message me and remind me. I want to make like a an Instagram submit thing because I want to know what other people think. So when this comes out, listen to this episode and then go to our Instagram and go to our story and tell us what you think happened. And we'll yeah. we'll post the good ones. Maybe someone has a really interesting theory about what happened. Maybe the killer is listening and we'll <laughs> say what happened. It's been a while. We've had a killer contact us, so you must be due for one. <laughs> yeah, it's our year. <laughs> All right, so make sure you give us a good review if you like the episodes. We got a few more good ones. We really appreciate them. We always post them on our Instagram stories just as a humble brag and so that everyone (laughs) knows we have a podcast, so keep doing that. Also, share it with a friend, put it on your Instagram story, like get the word out there. Um, Like Olivia said before, we always put all the notes and pictures and everything like that on our blog, which is truecrimesocietyblog.com. And we have our forum at truecrimesociety.com. We have a subreddit. We still have our Facebook group. And 
like random side note, we still have our Facebook page, which was always kind of like the side note, but it's been popping off lately because no. I don't think Facebook cares about pages apparently, and it just lets people go wild. So if you're looking to fight in the comments somewhere, go to the fucking <laughs> True Crime Society Facebook page and fight while you can. We made a post on the page about, um, I think it was about a, this woman in New York who killed her twin infant children, which is sad. But anyway, the page, that post reached over 5 million people, which is blows my mind. I just can't believe that, you know, something we write can reach that many people, which is crazy. So make sure you like the page you'll get. We update it pretty much every day with true crime news, you know, occasionally a funny meme or whatever. So um, make sure you like it so you'll get a good true crime roundup every day. Yeah, it just blows my mind that in the Facebook group, you can't even say white trash without getting like a ban. But on the Facebook page, people are just literally fucking wild. The Facebook page is like the Australian bush. People just do what they want. (laughs) (laughs) The the group is the American woods and the page is the fucking bush. (laughs) So check it out. Check it out. We will be back next time with an episode about something who knows what see you guys next episode bye see you soon. bye